welcome to the fourth episode of the Run by Nature podcast. I am Bryna Christmas. Each week I will be joined by a guest to discuss self-care, people care and planet care and how we can increase diversity, inclusivity and sustainability in these spaces. Today's guest is Kyra Matthews. Kyra is a mental and emotional strategist for creatives, supporting people to successfully launch their businesses and continue to thrive. Additionally, she has her own podcast, No Room for Doubt. We talk about how we can often get stuck trying to change things in the past, which stops us from moving forward, and how we can change our own perspective, be present in this moment, and help ourselves and others to navigate this to move forward and to reach our goals. Is there something in your past that is weighing you down? How can you embrace your own magic, connect with your true authentic self, reprogram your thoughts and be successful? You can find Kyra at KyraTheBold on Instagram. You can also follow the Ram by Nature podcast on Instagram at Ram by Nature. Or if you prefer, you can email me at hello at runbynature.com. We would love to hear your thoughts, feedback and comments on today's episode. And don't forget to hit subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, why not give it five stars? Let's take care of our home and the home we live on together. Here is episode four. Thank you for joining me on the Run by Nature podcast. How are you? I'm so good, thank you. And I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. What did you bring for the biscuits with B? I have Jaffa cakes. (laughs) And tea in like one of my favourite mugs. I treated myself to this mug after like I achieved something in my business. And now every time I drink this tea, I feel a wave of achievement flow over me. It's really lovely. What a sassy way to drink tea. Yeah, totally. Do you have a go-to order? That is a really good question. I do not, actually. I am the person who I always want to get something different from last time. I love going to a restaurant if they have like a set menu so I can just like sit and be like, you know, just dazzle me with all your best stuff. I love fish, love Japanese food. Do you have a set thing that you order? No, I don't. However, if I were to have a final meal, it would be pizza followed by ice cream. (laughs) Ben and Jerry's. Please say Ben and Jerry's. Do you know, Ben and Jerry's, I'm not a fan. Slightly controversial, I know. That's so controversial. Mm-hmm. I like Ben and Jerry's because it just has all the things in it. It's like an ice cream with marshmallows, with chocolate sauce, with chocolate pieces, with vanilla. I'm just like into that. <laughs> if you could give your 16-year-old self some advice, what would that be? So my 16-year-old self was a high-performing perfectionist, but she didn't really know it. She also didn't really know what the word perfectionist was, so she felt that perfectionism was about getting things right getting things right the first time at whatever cost to your personal health 
that your achievements were everything and that even if your health suffered, it didn't matter, like as long as you were out there achieving. And so what I would say to my 16 year old self was that, please stop, take a break. Burnout is a real thing. And you are more than the things that you produce and the work that you create. Like you are loved, you're safe. And in 10 years from now, you would have learned so much from this moment that you're in right now. I'm very introspective. So I almost, I speak to my like past self a lot in terms of like, I'm always like thinking about the past and like how my actions of the past have like led me to where I am now and where I also want to go. And so even though my 16 year old self was like very burnt out, high achieving, all that kind of stuff, I'm actually really grateful for all the things that she put herself through because it's really inspired the work that I do now today with my clients in so many ways. Developing that emotional awareness and introspection to understand that our past does not dictate our future and we can actually use it in order to improve where we are currently at or where we are going. I've seen this a lot in myself and with the people that I work with, that kind of being stuck in the past and being trying to like change things in the past from where you're sitting right now today. And it's incredibly unproductive. As you said, it stops you from moving forward because you start to think, or you might have this belief that if only you could have done things differently, then your today right now would be better. You would be happier. You would be slimmer. You would be have the career, the money that you want. It is a complete fallacy. Like it's something that your brain is creating so that you don't have to take action and do the things to achieve the things you want right now in the present. So we get stuck in thinking that, oh, if I could just change the past, then everything would be so much better. And I had this a lot with myself because I always knew that I wanted to work in fashion, like since I was like eight years old. And at eight years old, I knew I wanted to go to Central St. Martins, which is really world famous art college in London. If you Google best art college for fashion design, like they're like one in the top three, I think. I always knew that I wanted to go there. However, when I applied when I was 18, I actually got rejected twice. No, maybe even three times, I think. Like I applied for three different courses, got rejected three times. And I ended up going to UCA, which is in Rochester, a much smaller college. And I would look back on the past and think, if only I had been better, if only I had been more creative, I would have gotten to Central St. Martins and I would have this amazing career. The truth is, is that I was resisting reality. I didn't get in but it doesn't mean that my career is over. I just chose to look at it like that. And I spent so much time beating myself up and comparing myself to others. It's just such a shame because I missed all of the magic and the opportunity that I have here if I'm just present in this moment. That leads quite nicely to my next question, which was going to be, what is your most appreciated failure? Oh. I think probably that and probably the fact that it was a failure that stayed with me for years. <laughs> like it wasn't just, oh, you see the application letter, it's a big rejection and you put it away, you throw it in the bin. It stayed with me for years. It affected how I saw myself 
versus my peers. It affected how I showed up in the university that I did go into. I really, again, high achieving perfectionist, I really pushed myself at the expense of my health, at the expense of my relationships. So it was a failure that I guess stuck with me. And when you expand it over time, it really changed how I saw the world. It wasn't until I left uni that I decided that this thing is so heavy, I'm going to have to put it down in order to do what I want. I'm not going to go back and apply again. I'm just not going to do that. So there's literally just no point me staying in that space. And it's so interesting because now I help other creatives in fashion, illustration, various industries who have similar experiences to that. Maybe they didn't go to university at all. And they feel that for some reason, they're left out. Through my experience, overcoming that failure, I can now help people navigate that. University isn't the only way. You can pick any excuse and say that's the reason why you don't have success. Or you can turn those into, like your question suggests, your most appreciated failure, like the best thing that's ever happened to you. I think that's a much more exciting conversation than sitting there and thinking, well, if only I'd done that differently, I would be better or faster or fitter or whatever. Absolutely. So personally, how did you overcome that failure? I had to really confront it. Like I had to really get honest with myself about what I felt that failure meant about me and what I felt it was saying about me. Because when I got rejected and I didn't get in, I made it mean all of these things in my mind that I wasn't good enough, that I was never going to make it in fashion, that there wasn't a place for me, that only people who go to Central St. Martin's really do well. And now I can't be all the things that I want to be. So in terms of overcoming it, I had to slow down in order to speed up. I had to look at the behaviors that my perfectionism was causing. So my definition of perfectionism is actually that perfectionism isn't about work. It's just a strategy to gain and receive love and validation because you can't generate that within yourself. I had to look at my relationship with myself, look at my relationship with my past and develop a real self-love practice. And I kind of hate the phrase self-love because I feel like people hear it and think, oh, bubble baths and face masks. And that is absolutely so far from what I mean when I say self-love. Self-love is about having self-integrity, about saying that I'm going to launch a business next month and going out and launching it. It's about examining your failures and what you can learn from that. It's about acknowledging who you are, the magic you have right now, and how you can serve the world the best with it. It sounds like a lovely, cushy process. It was incredibly confronting. I sought out my first coach. Um, There was lots of tears, lots of crying, lots of, I can't look myself in the mirror right now. Really, that is the process of how I've like developed my relationship with myself, future, present and past. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) And talking about the present, if you had one day that you could spend doing anything that you wanted to do, how would you spend that day? I feel like two things would happen. I would spend it in a room of other business owners and creatives and we would be getting like super pumped up. We would be pushing each other, challenging each other, like doing all these amazing things. And then like right after... I'm by the beach, I can hear the ocean, my toes in the sand, maybe I'm alone, maybe I'm there with friends, and it's just really relaxed and lovely. I love that. I love that you have two aspects to your day that focus on you and helping others, and then also connecting with that inner self. 
Yeah, when I'm working with clients and working with people and in those environments of other business owners, I just get so lit up. It's just such an amazing high. I just love it. But then I also love this moment when after I have a session with someone, I shut the laptop and I just feel like so abundant, so full of love, so full of joy. It's just the most amazing thing. It's like eating a passion fruit. Like that's how my body feels. It's just like so lovely. And yeah, just to sit there and just take it all in, be super grateful for that moment. It's just bliss. You've already mentioned that you work in fashion, that you do coaching. Could you just tell the listeners about your current role and how this began? Yeah, sure. So I am a mental and emotional strategist for creatives. Essentially, I help creatives understand what's going on in their brain, reprogram their subconscious mind so that they can go out and release and launch the businesses that they want, the businesses of their dreams. Um, How this started really was that I was working in fashion, doing fashion styling for these huge companies, worldwide brands, doing all these amazing things, working with celebrities. And on the weekends, I'd be able to tell my friends like, hey, like I worked with that like actor, like it was so cool. I went to this premiere, you know, I'm working with Dior and Gucci and like, we're like all this kind of stuff. But on the inside, emotionally, I was really broken. I had really low self-esteem, really feeling like I was at the control of my circumstances and that I wasn't the one in control of my life. And I wasn't directing things where I really wanted to go, even though I had all of these bragging rights. And there came a moment where I realized that the inside is actually important as how things look on the outside. In fact, they're probably more important. And I really kind of took that shift of being like, I actually don't care what this looks like on the outside. I'm going to go and figure this out. What's going on right here for me now? Because my mental health was in such a place of breakdown, having anxiety every day, having panic attacks and like not really knowing how to solve this and knowing how to compact this. And I actually didn't go to a doctor. Like I said before, I actually got a coach and it was a coach that was the first person who taught me how to love me for me, how to process my emotions, how to manage my mind and manage my thoughts and direct my thoughts to where I really want to go. And I was so inspired and it was a kind of experience where I felt like called out by everything my coach was saying and I loved it at the same time it was so like how could she say that to me and then oh my god she's so right and I just had such a profound shift in my career and in my life and in my business, I started producing work at a higher level whilst being more fulfilled, getting bigger roles and getting bigger jobs. And at the same time as I was having this success, I saw people in my industry, I guess, not saying the things that I really wanted them to say. There was this moment where I was like, okay, like other people need to know about this thing that I've discovered. Like they need to be able to hear this, that you don't have to work 15 hours a day on a fashion shoot with people that you don't like, that doesn't have to be the way that you get success. There are other ways. And so I started my podcast last year, Bold, Brilliant and Broke. People were listening and they were like, you would be a really good coach. And I was like, "Ah." and essentially at the beginning of this year in March, right as we hit lockdown, that's when I really started coaching and really launched my business. And it has been one of the best decisions I've made. It's been such a fun journey. What was the hardest part to starting? Admitting that I wanted to do it. (laughs) 
so my role before working on fashion sets and doing fashion styling work was lots with magazines, with creating adverts, TV a little bit. So it felt like such a huge shift to like go from behind, like behind the scenes to being like, hey, everyone, like this is me, hear what I have to say. And sharing that with my colleagues who are like, wait, Kyra, what coaching? Like that was the biggest shift, like really coming to terms with the fact that I actually want to do this thing. I'm incredibly passionate about it and putting myself out there, even though knowing that people are going to have something to say about it, not always positive and really deciding how I want to feel about that. And that was definitely the hardest thing for me. Again, it's like this thing that you decide, like, are you going to carry the emotions and the opinions of others? Or are you going to just decide to like, just put it down because it's way too heavy, and you can't get where you want to go while you're still holding that responsibility. So launching during lockdown is incredible. Yeah, (laughs) which was kind of wild. (laughs) (laughs) How have you been successful? So I think it's like why I launched. So right at the beginning of lockdown, what happened is I didn't really know what coronavirus was. Like I don't really watch the news or anything. I just came back from the gym, went to Tesco's, went to buy a packet of pasta and there was none. And I started panicking. And then my brother actually got really sick. And I thought we never, he never got tested or anything, but we thought it was the virus. And I just went into a panic of being like, oh my God, like it's my little brother. What am I going to do? I was like cycling down to his house and standing on the street, talking to him, like calling him every day. Like, are you okay? Are you still alive? And in the end, he was totally fine. He recovered like a champ. And I guess I had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like we all could die. Like I could die. My brother could die. My boyfriend at the time could die. And I was just kind of like, is this how I want to go? <laughs> is like hiding this thing that I want to do, being afraid, is that how I want to go out? And I said, no. And then that's how I launched it. I really made a decision that I have been hiding I have been lying about who I am. No more. Because death happens to us all, to all of us. It's what we all have in common as humans. And so I think just having that moment has the thing that has pushed me through a lot of difficulties. But not only that, like I've had coaches and I've put myself in communities of people who are also doing the same. I've had a lot of failures over the way. I've learned how to evaluate my failures and to get up and try again. And really, that's the process of creating unstoppable momentum through those failures and through trying again, having a really powerful reason of why you're doing this. And really, that's how I created success and how I teach other people too as well. I'm very pleased to hear that your brother is well and made a full recovery. Yeah, he's like all good. (laughs) Do you have a favorite memory so far? In my business? Yeah, in the business. Since launching during lockdown, has there been a a moment that stood out for you? I would probably say when I had like my first paying client and I'm sitting there in a session, opening the laptop, opening Zoom, and she's like, I've just secured like this amazing project or I've just secured this amazing client. So I was having some success in my business, but also she was now too as a freelance photographer when all these people told her that 
it wasn't possible. And I think that helping others achieve their goals, it literally sets my heart on fire, seeing other people fulfilled, seeing, comparing how they started with me, feeling like really low self-confidence, low self-esteem, not really knowing where they're going to go, really panicked and fearful because of the environment, because of what Corona has done to the fashion industry. And then them on the other side being like, oh my gosh, like I've got this. Like I've now got the tools and the skills to handle anything that life comes and throws my way. And every time I have like a success story like that, it just makes everything so worthwhile. So worth getting up and going through the challenges. And has it brought you anything that you didn't expect? Yes, so many. (laughs) And I feel like we're just getting started. I have learned a lot about myself in terms of what my flaws are. Like, I think that you can't work so closely with people and really create your the success you want without addressing where you are kind of dropping the ball in some areas, where you aren't living up to your potential and showing up in the right way in terms of my relationships. Again, like have really suffered at me wanting the success and building the success, if, that, if you know what I mean. In terms of I had to really confront the way I relate to my ex-boyfriend, um, the way I relate to my friends and always putting those kind of things second. And so in terms of it bringing me something that I didn't like, it really showed like a mirror of who I'm being in my relationships and who I was being in my relationships wasn't something I was always proud of. Someone who would agree to things and cancel or who didn't put my family first. So those things are lessons that are like quite brutal and they're not nice to seeing yourself, but also I'm grateful that I am having those lessons and that I'm finally seeing them. So now I can make changes in my relationships. And through your previous work in the fashion industry and now your new business, how diverse and inclusive have you found the industry? Like zero out of a (laughs) hundred. In terms of inclusive, fashion is an industry that for a long time has been viewed as like there's a small tight knit circle. And if you're not in the circle, you don't have friends in the circle, then it's really hard for you to ever get close or get into the circle. In terms of that circle being people of colour or trans people, people of different backgrounds, it is a really slim and small percentage. And there is a lot of space and a lot of room for fashion to really improve as an industry to become more inclusive, to become more diverse. And if I'm honest, only in 2020 and 2019 have we really had this conversation. It's September now, so we're living in the wake of Black Lives Matter of the summer. And it has caused lots of brands and the fashion industry as a whole to really like, look and evaluate themselves and it has also inspired like a younger generation of fashion creatives to really start building and start being those inclusive and diverse businesses that they want to see larger brands and larger companies create in terms of it being inclusive and diverse I don't think it has been however I do think that in this moment there's a lot of space for younger creatives younger designers younger brands to create the kind of businesses that we really want to see 
on the horizon. Definitely. And have you found your clients that you've been working with, are they diverse? I would say so. And I wondered if if that's because like who I am. So like I am a chubby black woman. I wear my Afro on Instagram. I show up with no makeup. Sometimes I show up and I'm fresh out of the shower. Sometimes I'm talking about things that I haven't, you know, been very good on. Like sometimes I have shame spirals. I used to have a battle with my anxiety and all of those things. And I'm very open and honest with myself about those kind of things. And also honest with my audience about those kind of things. And so I have been able to draw different kinds of people who are like, hey, I think you can help me. You look like me. I think I can talk to you. I think you kind of know my background. So that's been really interesting to see as well, especially in my program, Start to Unstoppable, which is a group program. And I have four creatives in there and they are all so different in terms of who they are, their background, where they've come from. It just makes the whole experience so much more richer with like texture and opinions and points of view. I find it fascinating. I love your Instagram. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's how we met. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You are just a authentic ball of energy, which, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. I think it's the best way to be because... Like we all struggle with this stuff. And when people start like putting it out there and showing people their dirty wardrobe, I think the world is just a better place because we all just feel more connected and more like, oh my God, that was so me yesterday. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It makes you feel seen and part of a a community of like-minded people. Totally, totally. In terms of sustainability, how sustainable have you found the fashion industry? While working in styling, working in fashion houses, sustainability is had not been at the forefront. It had been like, how can you get this sample from A to B the fastest? If we were doing a shoot and we really needed a press sample, like a Gucci Dior sample, and it was in New York, it would be like, how can we get it to London tomorrow? Sustainability and the environment was not at the forefront. It was like, we're shooting this magazine. Like, that's the most important thing. How can we do this at any cost? I think that within that, there are a lot of people kind of wanting to examine their practices and examine how they do that. I don't know if that's going to really change in terms of the circles and the big magazines that I was working with. However, what I've been noticing in clients that I'm coaching and much smaller brands is that, you know, if you're a designer and you're deciding to start a brand, you get to build sustainability into your process from the very beginning with your first seamstress, with the person who does your social media, with how you do packaging and what manufacturers you use, which means that there's a lot of innovation and the smaller brands and these people really starting from their bedrooms, from their small studios to build sustainability into their process. But of course, like I said before, higher fashion circles, they seemed to me less interested in doing that. Okay, so how do you think we can increase diversity and sustainability? Is it enough for brands to simply be using black models, people of colour within their campaigns or incorporating sustainable packaging? Or is that just a bit of greenwashing? I think 
totally greenwashing. From being on the other side, like in the business, it has to start from inside. I will always say that in terms of diversity and inclusion, that has to be an internal inquiry. It has to start with yourself first. It has to start with the people at, who are at the head of these companies. Fashion and loads of brands actually have been recently called out for just using black models. And then you see a picture of their design team on Instagram and it's a sea of white faces who, who all look really similar. I think that in the current climate of things, that isn't enough. I don't think that social media, Twitter are silly. I don't think we're a generation of people who are just going to accept that you've sent me my my parcel in a recyclable box. It isn't quite enough. It is really going to take getting honest and looking at the systems that we've set up that have created a lack of diversity and a lack of inclusion. If we even just go back, this is totally full circle, to Central St. Martins and their application process, the places where brands are looking for candidates and people to join their teams. Central St. Martins is a majority white institution. Parsons, also the same. So these issues that we're having with a lack of diversity and a lack of inclusion, they're starting right at the beginning before they, people even get jobs in the industry, before they're even accepted to these places in the industry. It's going to require us really going to ground zero and deciding what part of change we really want to affect. I don't think that there's a brand that could be 100% sustainable, 100% ethical, inclusive, diverse, like all the things. I think it's really deciding, well, this is the kind of change I can make. I can make really sustainable clothing and going really all in on that. Well, this is the kind of change I can make. I can encourage young people from really poor working class backgrounds backgrounds to get into textiles and art and that's what I'm really going to go all in on but it does take really being confronting and really being honest with yourself on where we have dropped the ball and where we haven't been the best that we can be absolutely so from a personal perspective where do you see Kyra Matthews the business going in the next few years well, I see us as really changing the way that people relate to the fashion industry. One of the things I had said is that people see the fashion industry as it's like really inclusive. You've got to be in the circle. If you're not in the circle, you're not going to make it. And I just don't want that to be the case for the creatives I work with. I want to inspire a generation of creators, independent makers who believe in their mission so much that this small circle that they think is in fashion is isn't even on the table anymore. They are having their success in their own right. They do not have to go to university if they don't want to. They don't have to work 15 hour days if they don't want to. They are deciding what success is for them and then going out and actively creating it. They are fulfilled individuals. They are leaders, tastemakers in their space. And to be honest, it really is my honor to inspire and to facilitate that change within people. I'm excited to follow on that journey. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's a definitely like a long term vision, like deciding hmm, fashion, I don't like how you're doing it. We're going to do it differently. But every day I see progress and st see steps towards that vision. So I'm really excited. And also, 
I'm not alone in this. There are other fashion brand strategists that I've seen who are really passionate about small independent makers and making fashion industry inclusive and welcoming and something where anyone can have success if they really want to. There are people who are really doing it differently and deciding that the way that fashion has been going, it can't continue like this. So I feel like I'm not alone in this mission. And it's an amazing thing to be able to say that I have contemporaries and other people who also feel the same and also want to create that change. Fabulous. (laughs) Is there anything that I haven't asked you that perhaps I could have asked you, but I don't know you well enough to have asked? I think this is around my favorite book because I love reading like I was the kid who would like go to the doctor's surgery and sit and read and commit to reading every single poster on the wall about every single disease so I think it would the question that you could have asked me but don't know me well enough to ask would be like what was my favorite book or a book that totally changed my life and I have two like a non-fiction and a fiction one fiction would be Fingersmith by Sarah Waters do you know that author no oh my god please get that book it's so incredible I was reading it on the Eurostar such a tangent but I was reading it on the Eurostar going to see a friend in Paris and it is such like a show-stopping book that I remember like screaming out on the train and being like oh my god and the guy next to me just being like calm down hun (laughs) it was incredible but on the other side of that I remember reading a book called The Secrets of a Millionaire Mind which is all about how money is an attitude and it's an attitude or way of thinking that starts in the mind first and one of the key tenants in that book is that if you are struggling with success if you are struggling with money that's all something that's being created by you in your mind as a young creative I always thought that well I'm not good with money or I don't have a lot of money or I don't have the clients I want because of the fashion industry it's bad it's all of this stuff But that book became one of my favorites because I really learned how to create what I want to experience in the physical world in my mind first and how to move that from an idea, from something I'm just thinking, wishing and wanting into something that is real, tangible and 3D. And do you read books traditionally as in a book or have you moved over to an electronic reader? Oh my gosh, no. I'm so old school. I love reading books. And around where I live, people have these like wooden mini libraries. I don't know if you've ever seen them where you are. No. They're so cute. So basically you can like drop off a book in front of someone's like front door, like they on their wall. They'll have like a little wooden like case with a little door and you can drop off books there and you can take a book. It's like so cute. It's just like a community thing that they do in Walthamstow and Tottenham. And so... It means that I have um, unlimited access to real life books. And I just love reading, always have, always will. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic idea. It's like an outdoor library. Yes, exactly. Without the late fines, without all of the, you know, bureaucracy. It's so cute. And yeah, you get to like just drop off anything that you want. I did notice through lockdown in the UK that more houses were leaving books and items outside their front doors and perhaps donating some of the money from selling those items to charities. Yeah, I just think it's a nice way to like feel that community. 
like one thing that I really noticed like during COVID is that like I miss that a community like being part of something experiencing other people talking to other people which we couldn't really do for a while because of like social distancing so I think anything that just inspires that community even over the summer I know lots of people were doing like five pounds for 5k or something like that running 5k and then donating I just think it it's just that connection piece that we as humans really need. Yeah, I totally agree. So the podcast is all about people care, planet care, and then self-care. You've already spoken a little bit about self-care or self-love. Do you have a top tip for the listeners in terms of those three aspects? People care, self-care, and planet care. Yes. This is a people care and self-care tip which is an idea that I found in a book called The Courage to Be Dislike. And it's about owning your tasks and letting go of your tasks. So we all have like different tasks in life, like different things to do. If we think about a creative who's had an idea for a while and they want to launch it out into the world, but they're afraid of what other people are going to say, they're afraid of it failing. Your task is not the opinions or thoughts of others. Your tasks is also not the actions of others. Your task is to literally do what you've been put on earth to do. It is to fulfill your purpose. Or if we're really getting spiritual, it's to fulfill your dharma. We are all here to do something, to achieve something, to be something. It's going to look different to everyone. It is your task on earth to find out what that is and to have the courage to see that through to the end. Once you start allowing other people to have their own opinions, to have their own journeys, even though it might look different to yours, and you can still choose to love that person anyway, that is looking after your people, looking after your siblings, your friends, your brothers, and looking after you. In terms of planet care, go and spend time in the environment, in nature. Mother Earth actually gives us so much. We depend on Mother Earth, but we can be really disconnected from Mother Earth when we're just behind our laptops, when we just get, you know, food from Tesco, when we are just locked in our houses all the time. This summer, I've been spending a lot of time in my grand's allotment, growing food, eating things straight from the ground, walking, just being in nature nature, not having my phone with me, not even having like headphones or anything. We really need to connect to where we've come from. And I think now more than ever, the earth really needs us to see that she is struggling and she needs our support. Three fantastic tips there, Kyra. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Before we finish, can you please let the listeners know where they can find you? Yes. You can find me on Instagram where I have the most fun at Kyra the Bold, which is K-I-R-A, the bold. You can also check out my podcast called No Room for Doubt, which is all about mindset, manifestation, just getting rid of all those doubt thoughts. Send me a DM. I love to talk to you. Thank you so much again. I am feeling very positive, very inspired. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. I'm so glad it's been so fun as well. Like, thank you again for having me. It's just been amazing. Lovely way to start Thursday. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
At times, I literally forgot that I was interviewing Kyra and I had to ask her questions because I was so engrossed in what she was saying. Have you experienced times in your personal or professional career where you have felt stuck and what did you do to overcome these challenges? We would love to hear from you. Follow us at Nature on Instagram or email me at hello at rambynature.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and drop a five-star review. See you next week.